So, Trent. Nice to see you. So, Parth. You're looking well. You're looking well. Mmm. Look at us. We're just chipper after the interview, aren't we? Yeah. Maybe maybe we just did a little interview with a production designer of a movie we really like. Maybe we just did that. I don't know. Maybe we did a thing, as they say. No, like, you know on Instagram when it's like on someone's story and it's like someone's like, yo, Bessie did a thing. That's like us right now. Like me referring to you. I'm like, yo, Bessie just interviewed someone. I did. Proud of you, Bestie. But I think this is the first time we've ever recorded two separate entities in the same day, unless I'm crazy. I can't remember anything, but I feel like we might have. But uh, yeah, I mean, right now I feel like that's it. This, This is the only time. I feel like on days that we do interviews, I'm so mentally exhausted from trying to sound smart during the interview that I am in no mood to then additionally record after. But today, some some's gotten into me. And Parth, I think we're on our worst behavior. It's it's a product of necessity. The the this episode that you're listening to today for us is coming out tomorrow, so we kind of had to. Yeah, no, I mean, I hate to keep using this, like, modern slang, but all of these, like, baddies keep accepting our invitation to come on the show, and so we have no choice but to uh, just keep pumping out episodes. Yeah. We're a content machine, but, um, Trent, what have you been putting in your body recently? My body is sort of like a machine, and, like, the food is sort of like my gas, you know? Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. Like, I'm a car, you know? And, like, similar to a car, um, I consume mostly liquids, and so I had smoothie and toast. I mean, and like a car, I don't like a lot of variety in what I give. Uh, Like, Parth, when you go to the gas station, are you filling that sucker up, or are you saying $20 regular debit, please? Even though you know you're going to need all a gas eventually, and so you're just making yourself go back. But it feels wrong to spend a lot of money at once. I think generally I just fill her up. But I wait till the absolute last moment to fill her up, you know? Do you th- I, I think if my dad were here, he'd say that that's bad for the car. Um. Yeah, no, so I had the littlest... Oh, yeah, you said you ate the tiniest little morsel. Yeah, I realized joining the call that I actually hadn't eaten anything today, which it's two o'clock in the afternoon. That's probably not good. But I ran upstairs and had a little bite of a chocolate chip cookie. Nice. Uh, What I was going to say before, before you started talking about what you ate, is like, did you know with like older electronics and like maybe even like some phones? I don't know if this is a a rumor apparently you're like not supposed to charge it until it's like dead dead because charging it when it has it's, it's supposed to battery, be better for the battery yes it will like it, it takes down the lifespan of it which like sounds counterintuitive it's a good thing nobody listens to that you know literally no one so is that why my iphone battery is so shitty should i be letting it die die well, I mean, your iPhone battery is also shitty because Apple They designed it that way to to kill yeah. itself after two years. Yeah, it's um, intentional obsolescence or something like that. Yeah. Anyways, should we cut, cue the intro? Should we yeah. get into it? Because no. this is a pretty cool episode, right? Yep. Yeah, we talked about a movie with someone who worked on it. That's the show. Trent, I think, I, I think I'm going to put it a certain way and then I'm going to cue the intro. Is that cool with you? Cue it, bro. We're going to say, besties did a thing. Cue the intro. <laughs> Parth, literally, Bessie just did a thing right there. 
Welcome back to Craft Services, where we talk about the movies. Each week we talk about a film, and hopefully have a crew member of that film to talk with us about their experience working on the picture. This week, Besties did a thing. Yeah, no, they, they sure did. We got a real baddie to talk with us. About like, a baddie a with a fatty. Bomb, a real <laughs> bomb bitch of a movie, you know? Yeah, um, and that bad bitch is Eddie Hamilton. Yeah, and, and he, one could say he's the baddest bitch, you know. And one could say he edited the shit out of this movie, Top Gun Maverick. Which is, yeah, yeah. And this, like, not to spoil our discussion, but let's just say we like the movie. I've seen yeah. it four times. Yeah, no. Uh, people keep making the mistake of asking Parth if he wants. Like, would you see it a fifth time? I'm I'm gonna have to. I have to see it with friend off the show, Sarah Brotman. Yeah, there are all these people who feel the need to experience it through your eyes. And for that reason, since you're just so well-connected, you've seen it four times already. But I that, That's wait. the problem, is so many people want to see it with me. But you haven't. You saw it with Jackson Clark. I did. And Jordan Sikafus, both yes. friends of the show. Yes. And I also just saw Jurassic World Dominion, which... Uh, and that's all we're going to say about that right now. Um, for yeah, you know? for for more reasons than one, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, we we got to talk with Eddie Hamilton. He was super super cool. This was an episode that was a year and a half in the making. I first emailed him at the beginning of 2021. Yes, because Top Gun Maverick has been like on the edge of release for years by this point. It's just been away in by someone's two years in, on someone's yeah. hard drive and. Um, but yeah, so we talked with him. He talks with us about how he got involved with editing, how he got involved with the movie. He talks a little bit about a few sequences, about how they would plan the shots. But I don't want to give too much away, Trent. Should we just cut straight into it? Like, yeah, but like while like at the the essence of the interview, like while at the core, like we were asking questions and he was answering them. But at the same time, we were all just like vibing, just like talking about Top Gun. And I think that's what's important. And, like, we were kind of... Oh, wait, Trent. I know how we're going to cue into this intro. Okay. You want to know how we're going to do it? Sure, tell I'm me. I'm going to tell the audience. I'm, I'm going to tell the audience, you're now entering the danger zone. Dun, 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 dun. Right, Take my breath that's just That's just the wrong song. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our interview with Eddie Hamilton. He's the editor behind such films as Kick-Ass, X-Men First Class, Mission Possible Fallout, and our film for today, Joseph Kaczynski's Top Gun Maverick. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for inviting me on, Path and Trent. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks, guys. Uh, so just to start off, uh, what was your relationship with film like at a young age? I wasn't taken to the movies much as a kid. I think I saw Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, Close Encounter of the Third Kind, a View to a Kill, Return of the Jedi. That was kind of it when I was growing up. I had to beg my friend's parents to take me to see um, Return of the Jedi because my parents wouldn't take me. Uh, but I I remember when I was eight watching Star Wars on TV and noticing people's names on the end of the credits and just thinking it was the most incredible thing I'd ever seen in my life. And when I was eight, I thought, well, hang on a second. Does that mean... If I see people's names on the film, does that mean people make films? Like, is that something you can actually do with your life? 
And so from the age of eight, I was just very obsessed with movies. I'd started my love affair with the cinema and, and I remember just listening to music and watching as many films as I could and reading books and and then uh, and go and seeing as many movies as I could on on VHS and on on TV and you know when I was about seventeen I I discovered editing and then then I thought that that the, the combination of storytelling and technology would suit me you know so what was the first major movie you worked on or how did you start to find how what what projects did you start to work on. I I, st I started uh, making the tea in a post-production facility in London and I uh, they edit they did quite a lot of sport television programming and I, I actually spent quite a lot of time editing Portuguese and Spanish sports television programs which uh, I didn't really speak Portuguese or Spanish and I'm not a massive fan of sport but I had to turn around these programs very quickly there was a t small team of us and we got very fast on using um, Avid Media Composer in 1996 uh, or 95, I think this was. Uh, but I always wanted to work in movies. And so I, I, I found some people who were making a no budget feature and shooting on Super 16. And I went and I said to them, can I edit your movie basically for free? And I did that. And I, I did about maybe nine low budget movies, pretty much for nothing, most of them. And then my big break came when I worked on a film that Matthew Vaughan produced, which was called Mean Machine. And it was a British football movie about Vinnie Jones in prison playing a football match. And uh, that relationship with Matthew led on to Kick-Ass and X-Men First Class and then Kingsman, obviously. And then that led on to getting a call to do Mission Impossible. That was 20 years after I started, though. So it took me 20 years from, from, from like, first touching an avid media composer to getting a phone call to do Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. And then um, eventually, after I did Rogue Nation and Fallout, then Tom Cruise asked me or invited me on board to do Top Gun Maverick. Yeah, I mean, that was going to be our next question of like how you got involved. So like what kind of what was the meeting like with Tom Cruise? And I assume Joseph Kaczynski was there, too, like when you were approached to do it. OK, so I got a call from my agent, actually, while I was in Arizona for a Mission Impossible Fallout test screening. It was, I'm going to say. April uh, 2018, maybe. And. Um, I got a call saying they want Joseph Kaczynski would love to have a chat with you about Top Gun Maverick. And I said, well, look, I'm only in Arizona. Why don't I fly to Santa Monica tomorrow morning and move my flight back so that I come back from L.A. and then I can go and meet Joe. So after the, the test screening, I went I flew to Santa Monica very early in the morning and I arrived at Jerry Bruckheimer's office and sat. Uh, and had a long meeting with Joe and then a meeting with Jerry Bruckheimer. Um, and they were very, uh, it was it was super exciting to meet them both and hear what their thoughts were about the film and, you know, read the script that existed then. But I think I had Tom on my side and he, he said, look, I'd really love you guys to consider Eddie to do the movie because we've had a great experience working on Rogue Nation and on Fallout. And I really like them. And luckily they said, yeah, sure. That would be great. Let's, let's, uh, 
and I, you know, I, I'm a huge fan of Top Gun. I, you know, I saw the original in the cinema six times when it came out. I was 14 years old, so I was a perfect age and a huge admirer of Jerry Bruckheimer's. And this movie was going to be a very complex, challenging puzzle to build. And they wanted someone who was super enthusiastic and passionate and shared their love for aviation and for the original movie and and it, you know it was quite a challenge because i had to move my family to los angeles from london for a year from august 2018 to 2019 so i had to put my kids in a school in venice we rented a house but uh, overall it, i mean it was very 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 hard work for two years this movie but overall obviously it, it's turned out well and everyone seems to be very happy so as usual it's all worth it in the end so being you saw the script in its earliest form and then you were tasked with editing it and now you see the finished product is there any major like changes i mean i, I i'm sure any m most worth noting well they the film changed enormously constantly because the way that tom cruise and the writer chris mcquarrie he came on and was doing a, most of the of the writing while we were filming. They are constantly uh, learning from everything they've done up to that point, and they're constantly asking themselves, "How can we improve this?" And getting the tone of Maverick's relationship with Rooster right, how to introduce Maverick. There used to be a scene at the top of you know uh, way early on in the draft I read. There was a scene with some other fighter pilots having an having an adventure at the top of the movie but the film's called Top Gun Maverick and the the film has to be a pyramid around the character of Maverick with Maverick at the top and then Hangman and Rooster and then Payback and Fanboy and Phoenix and Bob so you you have to kind of make sure that the film is built around that and it doesn't have to be explicit but it does have to be subconscious as you're watching the movie and it does guide how you build the film and the kind of coverage that you choose and when you use close-ups and how you how Joe directed the scenes and covered the scenes. And the film changed constantly. It was a process of iteration for two years to keep improving and improving and improving. And there was quite a lot of stuff where we shot something and then we went back and had another go at it. Sometimes we went back, had a third go at it to get it right. And this was just a case of, of discovering, you know, the best way to, to kind of balance the character and the conflict and the adventure just to keep the audience leaning in, you know, and really Maverick and Rooster only, you know, resolve their differences right towards the end of the movie. But that means that you don't get that release, that emotional release until much later. And we had them resolve their differences at different places in the film uh, to see how that would affect the audience emotion going into the third act. But we, um, you know, ultimately we we figured out that what's in there now would be the best combination of emotion for the audience. So I heard in an interview with Joseph Kaczynski that there was 813 hours of footage, like flying footage. And I was just wondering, like, what even is the process of being able to go through so much footage? Because yeah. the movie's like two hours, 10 minutes or something. Yeah, and exactly. It is uh, enormously challenging, Path. I will say that. So it was 813 hours in total. So not just the aerial okay. footage, but 
it was you know 80 percent aerial footage i'll say and um the main the main trick is is not to allow yourself to get overwhelmed so try and stay on top of it on a daily basis now i never managed to edit the footage on a daily basis all i really managed to do on the very heavy days was have an idea of what they had filmed and skim through and check that we had the emotional beats that we were hoping that we would get but it's impossible to to really go through all this footage um and be thorough and know that you've got absolutely all the best uh moments that are in there without taking your time to go through it and it was it was just a case of of putting one foot in front of the other and slowly building these sequences shot by shot and and knowing it was going to take a very 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 long time the third act mission starting from when mav blasts off the carrier took me about three months to do that which i think is about half an hour maybe it was a bit longer at that point but just to get a first pass of something down on the timeline with all the beats uh, that, that, that we'd filmed and to make sure that all the best shots from the jets were there. It was still way too long and we still compressed everything considerably to make sure it was super exciting and um, to make sure that the, the way we were intercutting the different stories in the final mission uh, felt natural as you watched it, which just takes you know additional months and months and months of refinement um and then figuring out how to get the music to work and how to get the sound design to work and where to put music and you know the the sequence with all the um surface to air missiles took a very very long time to get the balance of that right started off very long and everything was created in the edit for that sequence there was there was nothing scripted we would we would it just what it said in the script is the jets blast over the mountaintop and the Sams fire at them um, and all hell breaks loose. You know, so all those lines of dialogue that they're all shouting to each other, we built and refined and refined and refined. And because they're all wearing masks, we can put whatever we want there, which is what they had to do in the first Top Gun quite a lot. But it, it you just have to start somewhere and then watch what you've got however bad it is and then slowly improve it um with the help of the brain trust on the movie of joe kaczynski jerry bruckheimer uh, chris mccrory and led of course by tom cruise you know who has final cut on this film we read that uh before you'd shoot in the jets you would have two hour meetings about what you're going to film and like can yeah. you talk about those it said you were yeah so, so that's right so we were um we were went to six different US naval bases on the west coast of the US over a period of many months uh in um the kind of spring and summer of 2019 and it was very the days were very long we would get up at 5 uh, meet in the hotel lobby at 5:30 drive to the naval base be there by 6 uh set up our gear and then at 7 o'clock the first briefing would happen and it would be a two hour briefing where they would talk in detail about every little piece of action or dialogue or emotion that they that Joe was kind of asking the actors to capture. There'd be about 20 people in the room 
a lot of people from Top Gun, Top Gun pilots, um, and then a lot of the crew. And most of the time, Tom was there as well. And uh, they would they would get, break everything down and it would be very, very carefully planned. 20 minutes of each meeting would be how to eject from the aircraft safely. So over months and months and months, I heard how to eject from the aircraft twice a day for 20 minutes each time. And they never took any shortcuts with safety. And then Joe would take the actors to this wooden cockpit buck that we had made so that they could rehearse with the actual Top Gun pilot and the actor in the back. And they could talk about, you know, where the sun was going to be over their shoulder and uh, which part of the terrain they were going to be and what the plane was going to be doing. And and then they would fly and it would be, they would fly for like an hour, an hour and a half. And when they came back, they would usually have rolled the cameras between 20 to 40 minutes on each flight, take one of the camera cards out, put it on a big screen and we would watch back the highlights of the footage would fast forward through it so everyone would be watching everyone else's footage so it was quite um it was quite raw for the pilot who'd just gone up you know but everyone was on the same team and we were all very supportive and helpful uh but that meant that i was aware of what the intention of each flight was and i had two of my assistant editing team there at the base with me and we would start to break the footage down immediately and start to log every little thing that the pilots did in the air and every line of dialogue that they said. And I would build these six-way split screens on my Avid Media Composer timeline so that I could see all the cameras simultaneously. And then Joe and I, Joe Kaczynski and I, would look at the footage at the end of each day between like 8 and 9.30 p.m., and then we would go back to the hotel and and it would all and, you know, but so we were we were all kind of quite exhausted because it was very long days. But it's very expensive to send a jet up. It's uh, like eleven thousand dollars an hour for a jet for fuel. So you, you've got to make sure that you don't waste your time up, up in the air. So the the mission in this movie is very clearly explained so that by the time you get to the third act, like, you know exactly what's happening and doesn't really need to be explained to you. And so I was kind of just wondering, like, how difficult was it to make that clear throughout the movie? And did the specifics of the mission ever change over the course of the filming of the movie? Good question. The, the specifics of the mission did not change. Um that the idea of going low and fast through a canyon to avoid surface to air missiles and then doing a pop up over a mountain down and target using a flare, uh, you know, a laser guided sight to, to drop two sets of bombs and have two consecutive miracles that was always in there. It, it's very important in these kinds of movies, any kind of heist movie or something like a Mission Impossible movie to teach the audience about the stakes of the mission and about the parameters of what it is the, the the characters have to achieve so that when you watch it you don't have to have stuff explained to you um chris mccrory has a great expression he's like you have to eat your broccoli first and then you get your brownie and you don't want broccoli while you're eating your brownie you know so i will say though that uh teaching the audience about how to achieve this mission with the different graphics uh, and the inserts in the jets and then the graphics in the in the training room in the tack room where we show the the jets going through the canyon and then being shot down and then we're intercutting with the, the reactions of the pilots we're intercutting with the jets blasting through the canyons 
And then we're teaching the audience about the pop-up and about, you know, targeting and dropping one set. I mean, that was incredibly difficult to get right. It was, again, weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks of work of just slowly, slowly refining and refining and refining and refining and compressing and then trying things out and trying other things out. Going, going back and picking up additional angles on the pilots to make sure that we had great reactions. Um, but it's a very good question because that stuff is really, really hard to do. And the, the real trick is to make it effortless to watch. So your eye is always guided around the screen and you feel exactly the right emotion for everything as it's happening in the sequence. You're never confused. You're always keeping up with the story and you're learning about you know the parameters of speed and time and height and g's so that so much so that when maverick does the canyon run and he says i'll do it in 215 the audience is like whoa that's pretty fast like everyone watching goes that's really fast and then you see that he's done a pull up and you see his g counter go seven seven point five eight eight and then it goes to 10 at the end and hangman goes damn like everyone in the audience is going <laughs> he has that plane is toast you know he has totally bent the airframe of that f-18 but he's proved that he can do it you know it is very cool that sequence i remember that was one of the earliest sequences we filmed because it only required tom in the air and he was showing the other pilots how to film this stuff but i remember that that low level run that uh that that maverick does through the canyon which is totally real and not sped up it's incredibly fast and so dangerous there was one pilot in the navy who was given permission by the air boss to fly that to fly it's called star wars canyon believe it or not um because it looks a little bit like tatooine and the plane is going nearly 700 miles an hour and sometimes it's 40 feet off the ground and the plane is going so fast that the pilot can't even see where he's going because he, he just has to know the terrain and guide the plane around the corners, knowing what's coming up. And um, we did it four times with Tom in the cockpit. And each time we came back and watched it, we were like, still not fast enough or low enough. And then it was a Friday afternoon, if I remember rightly. And Tom said, right, let's give it one more go. And they went up and they they had this Blue Angels pilot. All right. Uh, so this guy, he's the best pilot in the Navy. And he went in and they they went out for an hour and then they came back and they both walked in and they looked a little bit like shell-shocked. And the guy said, I hope you got it because I ain't doing that again. And we put it on and it was what you see in the movie, which is just absolutely jaw-dropping so fast and so close to the edge you can see the shadow of the plane on the on the on the mountain sometimes but to be there in the room when we were watching that everyone was totally speechless and we were like that is going in the movie that's amazing that is amazing and you know he that pilot will be able to tell his kids and his grandkids that guy i'm flying tom cruise in that sequence in top gun maverick you know I'm the only guy who was allowed to do it in the world. It's pretty cool. <laughs> so you bring up Star Wars, and I think with like the mission, you can't help but think of like the trench run, and then yes. like in ways of filming, 
like, people in airplanes, like, other war movies, like, Dunkirk and stuff, like, purposely or not purposely, are you, like, when editing, are you in conversation with those? Or are you trying to do your own thing? Or are you trying to reference those in any way? Um, I'm, I'm just trying to tell the best story that exists with the footage that I have, which is the answer almost any editor will give you, because I, I listen, when I was building that sequence, obviously... You know, we could have put some womp rats in there. We could have had, uh, you know, the exhaust port right below the main port. All of that Star Wars stuff. We we're all joking to ourselves about this. But obviously, there's a lot more that happens in our movie after they drop that. You know, like there's actually you need to have two miracles. So it's like Luke and Han doing it. You know what I mean? And then there's that whole section at the end after that, you know, with the Sams and all of that stuff that happens in the rest of the movie, which is uh, uh, you know its own thing but yes obviously the trench run they're flying low they're flying fast and i remember thinking this is really difficult and what's difficult is the cross cutting as i said to you between between maverick and then between rooster and then back to the base and then to the uh, you know the the tomahawk missiles uh, it's 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 very difficult to kind of jump around the story and keep track of everybody. So, you know, and then you've got the two enemy Su-57s coming. So you need to know where they are and how far away they are and what's Rooster doing, what's Maverick doing. That's one of the reasons the bridge that they fly under is quite useful because Maverick and Phoenix go under a bridge and Rooster's being slow and then he blasts and then you see Maverick and Phoenix go up start to climb up the canyon and dive down and do their thing. And then you see Rooster go through the bridge. So you're going, oh, I saw Maverick and Phoenix go through that. So I know that he's not far behind. All that stuff, it was, it, you know, carefully thought out. But when I was watching it, I remember thinking, damn, it must have been hard to do the trench run in Star Wars because they didn't have anything. They had no, everything was visual effects. They had the shots in the cockpit, but everything else. So I remember we did some of our sound mixing at Skywalker and I met Ben Burt, the uh, sound designer on Star Wars, you know, the legendary Ben Burt. And I said to Ben, I bought him breakfast one day because I'm such a huge fan of Star Wars. And I, and I, I had loads of questions about how he, because he was the editor on, on episodes one to three as well. Like he helped cut, yeah. I think, or at least episodes two and three. Anyway, we um, originally, what they did is, they filmed all this World War II movie footage off the TV. So George Lucas got a 16 mil camera and he, he, he literally recorded World War II movies off the TV in black and white. And they cut the whole sequence with this 16 millimeter World War II footage. And I said to Ben, do you have that? Because it's quite apocryphal. You know, you read about this. And I wonder if, if you've got a copy, because I'd love to see it because I'm in the middle of doing this sequence now. And he said, actually, I do. And he showed me on his laptop. He had an archive and he showed me the original trench run from Star Wars with this World War Two movie footage cut in. None of the visual effects were in. And it's in. Oh, and he had it side by side. Like he had a split screen of the finished movie and this World War Two footage. And it was amazing to see how how they used that as kind of early previs, you know. Uh, but it was we did so in i was thinking about it but you have to make your own movie work and i obviously i've seen dunkirk twice and you know i worked with lee smith on x-men first class and he won an oscar for dunkirk and he's a genius i mean he's easily 
I mean, he, he he's one of the best editors in the world, without question. And so I was aware of it. And I, I, I but what's interesting with that is that so much of it was filmed for real with IMAX cameras and they can't just roll and roll and roll. Whereas we could. So some of the digital cameras did roll for quite a long time in Top Gun, which is why we ended up with so much footage. But it, it meant a lot of a lot of my time was spent chasing through hours of footage to see if I could find 18 frames of a plane going, you know, which just took forever. But I can I didn't take any shortcuts. And I can assure you that all the coolest shots of planes that we had in any location are all in the movie, you know, because because I'm a fan as well. And I I. I want. I don't want to let the audience down. You know, I, I, I love Top Gun, and I want everyone to go to this movie and think, "Holy smokes, that was awesome!" You know, and I want, uh, if maybe, I want people to feel how much kind of love and affection was poured into every second of the movie. You know, every aspect of the film. You know, the color and the sound and the music and the the editing and the composition and the acting. I mean, everything. We just. We put. I, I was. I, I just poured so much love into it for two years to make sure it was going to be as good as it could possibly be. But then I'd seen it three hundred times, and I had no idea if anyone was going to like it or not. But luckily, people seem to enjoy it, which is just a massive relief. Uh, I've seen it twice at this point, and everybody I've taken to go see it has enjoyed it. I'm thrilled, Path. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm taking my parents next week. Fantastic. Hey, that interview. Hey, buddy, was pretty great, and that was only the first half of it. Uh, I'm sure the fans knew that by this point, if they've come this far, that next week they can expect to find the second half of this conversation. Yeah. So the, this interview went so long, went an hour long. So we were like, you know what? We're gonna spread the love over two weeks. Besties are gonna do another thing next week. You know, the besties continue to do things. And um, we're dividing our things into smaller things so we can continue to do things with more regularity, you know? Yeah, with two episodes for with your two favorite besties, Parth and Trent, you know? Yep. I think using the word bestie this much is sort of like... Frying your brain. It's it just like zapping me. I'm malfunctioning. Um we already revealed what's coming next week, so now we just have to beg the people at home to uh, to review our, our to rate and and write a review and subscribe. No, subscribe isn't even a thing. Follow us on social media. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram. Those are the two we have. And also, as of yesterday, we've we've joined an unprecedented amount of podcasting platforms. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, uh, iHeartRadio. Uh, pod chaser some shit like that i don't know basically like wherever you get your podcast stitcher is probably i would imagine more relevant than some of the ones you just named because yeah yeah but uh if you listen to podcasts we're probably on that app you use um so if you know anyone that is like i only listen to podcasts on amazon music uh, we're on amazon music so um or if you have anyone tell us to you know? Who's like, oh, hey, I like to consume media and watch TV and maybe even occasionally a film. You should tell them to watch yeah. our show because we we also like those things. And we like you, humble listener. Insert Parth. Can you insert a, a random name here? Kath. 
Catherine, Jennifer, Jason, John, Peter, Clunk, Clink, Clunk, Blunk, Chunk. Some could say. So if your name's Chunk, if your name's Chunk, and you're listening to the show, we appreciate you. Yeah. Who is it? Who is it? Yeah. Who we? Oh, well, I actually wanted to say something about that, but I can't. Um, let's just say someone we know was nicknamed was called Chunk, Chunk by and Jackson they didn't like it. Yeah, and they didn't Clark like it at and all. was not happy about it. Yeah. Um, and maybe they were on our Staten Island discussion. You know, King of Staten Island. Um, oh, sorry. Yeah. That, maybe it was your housemate Chloe Ditloff, and uh, Jackson called people her clink, and no, they called Claire clink and her clunk. They, she, clunk? She, he called he called Claire Clonk and Chloe Chunk. Oh, I, I see the problem. Well, Clonk it, it doesn't wasn't sound an, very good. Clonk doesn't sound good, but Chunk like is particularly Sh- not very good. Strangely, Clink doesn't. But like, if someone called me Clink, <laughs> I'd be like, okay. Well, Clink sounds like a mistake almost. Mm-hmm. Like that's just like like Clonk sounds like a name. Like and Chunk and, and Chunk, you might as well be called Fat. <laughs> but but. But clink is just like, that's like huh. a sound. Yeah, yeah. It's you know? what's what's the word? Um, onomatopoeia. Onomatopoeia. That's what we were searching for. Yeah. So we're on everywhere. Go give us a good rating. Come back next week as we close out our interview mm. for Top Gun Maverick. Trent, should I close us out with uh, Danger Zone again instead of our j- usual end music? Sure. Yeah. Danger Zone is pretty awesome. Um, Top Gun is pretty cool. We'll be discussing it. Is that just gonna be a Trent versus Parth episode? Or it might be Trent and Parth versus the world since we're on the same team of loving Top Gun. That's true. I don't know. I think I might want to keep it to just us, because it... Wait, just the besties? We, we can go... Just, like, I just want besties to do yet another thing, you know? Um, <laughs> like, and, and... I just want... I want some of the baddest bitches I know. You and me. Mm-hmm. to be on that episode, you know? Yep. Um, well, with that being said, good night. <laughs> Bye, guys. <laughs> <laughs>